Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Erin McCoy, here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakway. And here we are at West Virginia Beer Roads Roundtable. We got the Roundtable crew here, starting off with Rob Abston, Roundtable regular. How you doing? It's great. Good to have you here again with us, Rob. And uh, of course, my podcast partner, Aaron McCoy. Hello. And special guests today for this program about brewing education programs is Michael Parsons. And Michael's the uh, Brewing Technology Program Coordinator at Bridge Valley Community and Technical College. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, you know, uh, one thing that we're always thinking about is fermentation and uh, because it plays a role certainly in in beer production but fermentation is a much bigger um, topic than just beer and I know in food and beverage how big is fermentation what kind of a role does it play so fermentation plays a huge role in food and beverage um, and it has all throughout history Uh, so some of the foods that um, are fermented that you commonly see on the shelves in the grocery store are things like um, sauerkraut, uh, some fermented drinks besides beer, uh, have started getting popular things like uh, kombucha. Mm-hmm. And so fermentation in food will, uh, will help to preserve the food, but it also changes the nutritional value of the food. Um, the fermentative process allows the uh, microorganisms to start breaking down the food and um, as they feed on the food essentially and break it down uh, they'll create different nutritional compounds than what was originally in the food mm-hmm. uh, one that is uh, really notable is um, b12 so uh, if you're vegetarian that becomes really important to you because you won't get b12 from a plant source uh, but you can get B12 from fermentated foods like uh, uh, sauerkraut or um, sourdough bread, kimchi. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, I mean, yogurt. I know like. Right. Yogurts. Yeah. Yogurt's certainly a good example. I think one thing, well, at least I've heard, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong on this, but I've heard like anything that really has yeast working in it, like any bread, that that in really has been fermented in a sense. Uh, yes, so uh, technically speaking, uh, bread is fermented, um, or at least yeast bread. Mm-hmm. Yeast um, bread, right. Right, so uh, so the yeast are in there, they're breaking down the proteins and the sugars in the bread, um, and notably what what is causing the bread to rise is the breakdown of sugar. Uh, just like in beer, when the yeast break down sugar, they produce carbon dioxide as one of the byproducts. Uh, the same thing happens in the bread, which causes the rising and causes the uh, the holes in the bread that make it nice and fluffy. Um, so yes, so brewers use yeast for, or I'm sorry, uh, bakers use yeast for much the same reason as brewers, just with a different end result. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, again, how broad fermentation is in the foods, the very common foods and things that we eat. Absolutely, it's very fascinating. Yes. And uh, one more thing that I've heard is fermented, and that would be kind of, I'm not sure this one makes sense. Things like 
dry sausages, pepperoni, soppressata, mm-hmm. salamis. Talk, talk, do you know about the fermentation in, in that kind of process? Uh, I don't know about the specific organisms that they use to ferment those. I would guess um, something like a, a lactobacillus, if I were going to venture a guess, like mm-hmm. um, the same bacteria for yogurt. Um, so for that, uh, that would be before we had freezers yeah. to uh, to preserve food, um, or irradiation or any of the processes that we use today, uh, that's a good way to preserve the meat. Um, the same concept as uh, using salt to preserve the meat or a brine. So that was just another way to preserve the meat so that you could keep it longer um, and have something to eat through a long winter. Basically, the good bugs take the um, stuff the bad bugs would eat and eliminate it. Right. Or produce an environment that the bad bugs can't live in. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. The, the common one is, I mean, you know, lactobacillus throws off a whole bunch of lactic acid, which, of course, where it lowers the acid or lowers the pH, raises the acidity, and kills off most of the things that uh, are, you know, human pathogens. Yeah. And I guess that's why uh, we always say in home brewing and other places that uh, there's really little in, ever in a beer that could make somebody sick. I mean, a human pathogen. If once it's made into beer, it's pretty daggone safe. Uh, it won't, you know, shouldn't make you sick unless you probably drink way too much. <laughs> <laughs> After effects. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that's the bacteria. <laughs> hey, um, you're a biological scientist, I guess. I mean, technically, what is your background mm-hmm. in, in, in the field? So uh, my background is actually biochemistry. Um, and what pulled me into into an interest in brewing was actually uh, fermentation itself. I'm uh, very fascinated by that process and uh, how how these tiny organisms that uh, you can't even see can affect everything that that we touch, from you know doorknobs and getting sick to uh, helping to make the food that we eat more nutritional or preserve it for a longer period of time or just taste better yeah well we uh you know talked at all those different kinds of foods and beverages that are are common and each one of them has some kind of fermentation so it seems like the science of fermentation that you guys learn or that you have learned must play an important role all across the food industry mm-hmm. yes it des- definitely does um so the science of the the fermentation and the science that goes into the food industry as a whole uh, is very important both for uh, like the craft industries, craft beer, craft foods, um, in nailing down specific flavors or uh, experimenting with new foods or recreating uh, older foods that maybe have fallen out of style. Uh, but there are other aspects to that uh, that food science that go into it that allow us to transport foods all over the globe uh, and produce foods in, in a much larger quantity and keep them for longer. Uh, as much as fermentation and uh, those good microbes help us out, uh, we also have whole sciences devoted to killing the bad things. Yeah, that's the other side of that right. microbiology would be the bad bugs you'd, you'd want to get rid of and how mm-hmm. do you eliminate or keep them from taking over. Sure, and uh, and we do that 
several different ways. Um, we use a radiation, which uh, basically we just uh, blast the food with um, electromagnetic waves on and uh, kill anything on the surface. Um, you can also heat the food and kill things out by heat. Uh, the problem is that any of these processes, they're kind of harsh, and they also can affect the nutritional value of the food. And flavor too, right? Oh, sure. And the flavor, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just like when you cook a food, when you, uh, when you heat it, things start breaking down. Those molecules, whether they're uh, nutrients or vitamins or just uh, flavorful compounds, they'll start to break down or stick mm -hmm. together into something else. So uh, the more processes you take it through, the the more you change the food itself. Well, one of the things that was always fascinating to me was the, the myriad of microorganisms that are in the yeast category. I mean, it's not just like you know, there's yeast and you, and you use the same yeast to be, break, bake bread that you use to brew a beer. Even in beer, there's so many different yeast strains. Strains, right. Yeah. yeah. Can you like comment on, and I'm sure in lactobacillus, it's probably the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yeasts are, uh, compared to humans or um, larger animals, they're a single-celled organism. They have a short lifespan and ultimately they reproduce very quickly and with that you can get uh, some variation in the genetics over a pretty short period of time which leads to um, leads to very many strains of yeast uh, they've been evolving for uh, millions of years and uh, changing as they go uh, they they can also move around uh, quite well, you know, be carried from one place to another um, with a, a seed or on the back of an animal or, you know, and as they change that environment uh, and they get um, get set down and settled on a, a different fruit in a different climate, uh, they start adapting how they're better fit to survive there. So, um, ultimately what, what we're more interested in is then how those changes affect what they break down in the beer or the bread, uh, and what flavor compounds they're going to release or how well they'll tolerate alcohol, things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that genetic variance from one strain to another is really important. Now you mentioned how quickly, how many how, how quickly yeast can actually evolve. I mean, there's a, a good example of that a, a relatively local brewery up in Columbus has been running the same yeast strain now for nearly 2000 batches. They've been around for about 30 years and they started out with your basic Chico strain, which is known as the California strain. Um, the C, you know, what started up with Sierra Nevada, real neutral, uh, high attenuative yeast. Uh, 1056 is the Y yeast term for it. Uh, White Labs 001, Sath Ale, SO5. Standard, typical run-of-the-mill, you can use it for 95% of your beer styles in one form or another type yeast. They started out with one batch, and they've been repropagating that bat, that one batch of yeast now for over 2,000 batches, and it has taken on a completely different house character. It's still highly attenuative, but it really, instead of being a neutral flavor, it throws off a very distinct house character. So when you go to Barley's down on High Street in Columbus, you are getting a... it. it in theory, it started. I mean, it's it's they'll tell you it's White Labs. You can you can recreate it, 
but you can't because this yeast has evolved over 2,000 or so batches and it is something completely different now. And you can just see that in action at a lo- relatively local brewery. Right. And when you talk about uh, larger breweries, you know, I've read that uh, some breweries even have their yeast strains um, saved and frozen so that they can always go back to that particular strain. If anything happens to the brewery, uh, there's any damage, uh, fire, flood, what have you, um, you can replace all of the equipment. Uh, you can you can filter your water and tweak your water, but uh, you'll never reproduce the same beer unless you can bring back your same yeast. How long can you do? You know how long can you store yeast if you would freeze it? Like a brewery, as you said, if a brewery were to do that, how long can they maintain that? Mm-hmm. Or, or do you know? Uh, so I don't know exactly. I know that there are. Um, some different ways that that can be done. Some of them, um, they'll freeze the yeast for a while and then they'll have to take it out and propagate it uh, and freeze the the next batch to keep it going. I've also read um, one company at least that freezes it in liquid nitrogen. Okay. uh, And that that will keep much longer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, as long as the freezer uh, stays, stays cold, <laughs> <clears throat> right. it, it should be there uh, longer than the human race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but you have to make sure you're refilling that liquid nitrogen. Right. Stay on top of it. Yeah. Yeah, in most foods, they, people probably, and even large beers that they want or value consistency over time, they're going to look to, you know, kind of find that strain, identify it, and keep that strain, the, the one they want. And when it, if it ever starts to change, they're going to go back and grab their frozen batch and, and recreate the original. So, But with small breweries, what the cool thing is, is they're always looking often, especially these that are using wild yeast and other things. I mean, they're going out into nature and picking up stuff uh, to brew with just to see what it does to their beer. Yeah, absolutely. And uh you know, that's one of the, the things, jumping ahead a little bit, that I look forward to doing with my class is letting them uh, actually culture their own yeast and try brewing a beer with it. Well, let's talk then about uh, the purpose of brew, brewing technology, and uh, th- that's what your program is called. And, you know, brewing technology education, you know, what's the role of that today in um, America? Mm-hmm. So uh, over the last several years, the craft beer industry in America has been growing rapidly. Uh, We're having more breweries open up and particularly more small breweries to mid-sized breweries. Uh, So what that means is that with all of these uh, businesses opening, there needs to be a trained and educated workforce that can can supply the beer, um, brew the beer, but also transport the beer from one place to another, distribute it to the vendors, um, do quality control, uh, even things down to maintaining the yeast for uh, either your house brewery or a third party that maintains for several breweries. Uh, so the purpose of, of brewing technology education is to uh, help people to learn about these different parts of the industry and help them to be ready to step out into the field and, and do a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems that um, I'm just trying to think as I was getting ready for this podcast, uh, you know, I only know one or two or three, I don't know, very few anyway, 
people in West Virginia breweries that have gone to graduated from any kind of brewing program. And uh, so we're really looks like you're trying to break new ground really with with our industry here locally as well as just with our education system and our colleges seems it's that's a new a new step for us to take right yeah it is a new step actually um we are the first college in west virginia to offer a degree program in brewing technology um so our program is uh, an associate's degree associate of science degree in brewing technology and um what we're looking to do is to help stimulate this economy as it uh, as it starts to grow. We'll keep supplying the workforce, and we're also looking at an entrepreneur track uh, to help people who can open their own breweries, get started, and have the knowledge to be successful. So Bridge Valley uh, Community and Technical College Brewing Program curriculum consists of what particularly for that associate degree? Yeah, so uh, the first thing that they're going to do is learn the uh, the basics of brewing in our intro class, and even more importantly than that, they'll start off with safety and sanitation. Um, so we were talking about microbes earlier. Uh, sanitation is a huge part of brewing because you want the yeast to have a head start, which means you help you want to get rid of everything else before you start the fermentation. Um, so they'll go through all the basics, learn to keep everything clean and how to use the equipment. Uh, and then in the second semester, we'll really dive deep into the chemistry and the microbiology, uh, both how the beer is made by the yeast and, uh, what affects that temperature, pH, what have you. Uh, but also looking from the other side and saying, okay, we have a, a finished beer. Uh, what things can we do to, uh, analyze this beer and see, you know, what is the alcohol content, um, things like that. So see that what you produced. Yeah, see what you made. But you start hindsight. out in the classroom with just basic the education, the basic knowledge that they need, and then do you become hands-on and actually have a brewing system that your students will get to work with? Yes, absolutely. So uh, we have a brewing system um, that they'll work with from the start, um, cleaning the and getting hands-on, just being familiar with what the equipment is, what it looks like, uh, how to take it apart, put it back together. Um, And then as we move through the curriculum, they'll be brewing on that system. uh, And it's actually going to be a very hands-on program. Um, All of the students will be required to do internships, uh, which you know, many of the breweries are excited about. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yes. Um, we're also, uh, we have a meeting later this week with the development office. Um, and we're talking about uh, the the possibility of um, offering apprenticeships uh, through the Department of Labor to go along with this degree uh, so that they'll get significantly more hands-on experience as right. they're going. Um, and that's looking... Uh, that's looking really good. So there's a lot of interest in both the internships and uh, formal apprenticeships. Internships throughout the whole state or more local. You've obviously already worked that out. You've had discussions. You know who wants to have your uh, people come help. How has that process gone? Right. Uh, So our goal is to be able to expand this program through the whole state. Uh, One of the things that has been a little bit of a challenge that I'm really – really working through right now is setting it up so that students can do uh, the education portion 
as remotely as possible uh, and do the hands-on portion, um, some of it through the brewing lab at Bridge Valley, uh, whether that means coming in for a weekend and doing a lot of the labs together uh, or working with our partner breweries and getting some of their hands-on hours actually in the brewery. Uh, that way we can have students um, not just in Charleston or Montgomery, but we can open this up to students in the Eastern Panhandle or the Northern Panhandle um, and and also supply um, good experiences through the breweries in different parts of the state and kind of stimulate that statewide. That's what we really want to see. Yeah, I think you guys are, are quite different from, I mean, every other brewing program I know at least the, many of the ones that I'm familiar with are they, they start up in areas where there's already a brewing industry concentrated. You're in Montgomery, West Virginia. There's one brewery within 20 miles, maybe two within 25 or something. You know, it's like we're not a brewing center. So you're going to have to reach out, I would think. And I'm glad to hear, you know, your talk about how you could do remote education so people could live in Elkins or something and, and still participate in this program. It just seems, you know, a little different, different design than, than many of the uh, programs that you see out here at community colleges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the curriculum itself, um, you know, it is, it is its own unique thing. Uh, but it, it certainly falls in line with, other curriculums from other uh, schools that have been doing this for a long time. Um, but as far as the way we're going to implement it, uh, we're doing as much blended education and blended classes as we can. So meaning that it's going to have face-to-face uh, -face and hands-on component, uh, but also have at least part of the class online uh, so that, you know, they're not necessarily coming in every week or two or three times a week. Uh, but so that students can uh, work another job or uh, live in a in a remote area uh, away from the school. Uh, so one of the things about our program is you have to be 21 to start the program. So we're not pulling in freshmen, you know, straight out of high school. Because <laughs> well, uh, that also means these are people that might be married, have families, right. have jobs, that mm -hmm. they have to stay. They're tied into an area and really can't leave that to go to school or across the state to do an apprenticeship. It seems like at times those are restrictions that people might have. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, tying into that, even if they live uh, right there in Montgomery and can walk to the brew lab, uh, if they have a family, have kids, have a full-time job, uh, they still can't come to class, you know, from 10 to 2, four days a week. Right. right. Uh, so, so I'm doing as much as I can to... Uh, consolidate the classes to one day um, and also create a, a system where they can do a lot of that work remotely uh, and come in for the hands-on portions. And then uh, when they get into their uh, internships, then they'll be doing hands-on mm -hmm. in the brewery, but still any classwork from that point would be remote. How long did you say the internship is mm -hmm. once they're in with your one of your partner breweries? Mm -hmm. So there is at least one semester of internship. Um, there could optionally be other internships or um, or they could even work officially as a part-time employee or I suppose a full-time employee at a brewery. 
Um, I guess I'm asking, is there an hourly requirement that the school's looking for to say, oh, you have to have X number of hours to, to have completed your internship? Right. So um, it would be a three-hour credit, uh, three-hour course through the school. Um, so they'll work. Um, we haven't worked out the exact number of hours with the brewery, but I would imagine they'll work something like 10 hours a week at a brewery. Which would be equivalent um, or equivalent to a class. Right. Equivalent right. to a class. Or that may be uh, you know, shorter for half a semester, but consolidated right. into more hours each week. Uh, it'll it'll fluctuate some with the needs of the students and, and the breweries that they're working for. Um, and then with the uh, apprenticeship program, uh, we're hoping to see at least some of them through the, the apprenticeship. Uh, well, the apprenticeship was a little more um, in-depth than the internships. Uh, so what we would hope to see with that is that they're working uh, through the whole program at a brewery under a master brewer um, and that uh, they're doing our education component and the getting the experience of brewing in the brewery. Um, now, when so, they work under what you're calling a master brewer, I mean, that's a very specific term in the industry, and we don't have any master brewers in West Virginia that I'm aware of. Now we have head brewers and people that run breweries in West Virginia, but they probably haven't had the same education that your, your student that's coming up there to perform that internship under that brewer. How's mm -hmm. that going to, is that okay with you? I mean, right. So I use master brewer a little uh, loosely. You're right. <laughs> um, and so uh, the head brewer is more than likely uh, somebody who's going to have more experience than the student. Oh, yeah. Um, I think they would have experience. I'm just thinking they right. probably didn't necessarily have that degree in brewing that you're looking that Absolutely. You're about. Yeah, okay. um, most of them probably won't. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't mean that the experience that they've gained th throughout their career isn't uh, also very valuable. So um, what I what I hope to see is that my students are getting both the technical education side and they're gaining this knowledge from from this experience, and uh, and maybe even getting something that that the technical side might have missed, some trial and error that uh, that a brewer yeah. learned the hard way. I think that that brings up a question because you know we, as I said earlier, we don't really have a lot of brewers in the state that have gone through. Some of them have certificates. They I don't know of any that have a degree, uh, like even a two year degree, or certainly a four year fermentation science degree. But they make good beer. I mean, there's a lot of people making great beer here that they've just apprenticed somewhere. They've never gone to school to study brewing. Uh, a lot of good home brewers here the same way. What are What is this program going to add to that that these people aren't already doing or learning by just, you know, apprenticing among themselves? Uh, you know, talk about what this classroom side of the education is going to add. Right. So the classroom side... Um aside from just adding uh, credentials to the brewer and uh, letting the brewery know from the start when they hire this person, hey, I'm getting somebody that uh, has kind of been through this. They they know what they're doing to some extent. They're not starting off at the bottom. Um, that's going to be important as more breweries open up, uh, more of these uh, brewers that have been in the state for a long time and learned to brew on their own or brewed under someone, uh, they're going to get snatched up. Many of them are already snatched up. And so 
as new breweries are opening, they're going to need people who are trained. Um, and that also comes to uh, people who are interested in opening their own brewery. Uh, they need training. They need a way to understand not just making beer, but understand the, the industry as a whole um, to make decisions like, uh, do I go through a distributor or do I self-distribute? Do I want to be a production, uh, a heavy production facility? Do I want to have a brew pub? Right. And um, so then where do you get people that can actually teach that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got a biochemistry background, but who's going to teach them about distributing? Right. So uh, luckily, um, the creative entrepreneurship department that houses this brewing program uh, they're also in the same division as our um, as our business department. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have business coaches um, that we're going to be working with to you know coach everything from uh, looking at the at the market and looking at your service area, um, setting up a financial plan, and then for people who want to be entrepreneurs, they're even going to have the option of. Uh, working with a coach that can help them find investors and loans or or sometimes even grants that will help them to start up their brewery. Yeah, I mean, those are certainly all very important things because, as we know, we've been around the brewing industry, it's a business, and you have to be a good business person as well as a good brewer. Just making good beer alone isn't but half probably the battle, you know, to stay in business and make money and support your family. And you can have people who are whizzes at marketing who don't know how to make good beer and they fail just as quickly yeah. as the guy who makes good beer doesn't know how to market it. Right. If I could add something a little bit to what you Go were ahead. saying earlier, that they, one thing I can see this program adding um, that you're not going to get from being in a, being somebody that comes from just another brewery is sometimes you just as a brewery employee or a brewer, a lot of what your training is at the brewery is just received wisdom from the past. And right. it really doesn't come from any science base. And people are, they might not necessarily, they they generally know that, oh, well, on this system, if you do it at 60, if you ferment it at 68 degrees and then drop it down to 45 for a day, it'll crash out and everything like that. And it works fine. And then you go to system B at next brewery and it doesn't work like that. Right. Different. And you are set there stuck with well, I don't know what to do. And if you've got the grounding and the mm-hmm. science and everything, you can look at the problem and analyze it and say, well, you know what? We're getting these, we're getting this diacetyl issue that we, we didn't get in our, our other system that I worked with. I've never seen this before. It's popping up. You might have an idea then how to address an issue like that or something like that. Um, and that's, that's one that I, I see. I, think I, that's, I see that a lot. Yeah, that's a big one. And, and Michael, maybe that's something. Definitely. And I don't think you really... Uh, got into probably yet that would be the idea that some very few of our breweries in the state and certainly if they're going to grow they need laboratories in-house or at least lab services they need people on staff that do know more about uh, the chemistry the science the biology and is that something a person coming out of your program is going to be a little more grounded in than the typical person that maybe never took a biology class in college? Uh, absolutely. Our uh, second semester of the program, um, the heaviest part of that course load is the chemistry behind brewing and the microbiology behind brewing. Um, so they're definitely going to come out with a grounding in um, both what are the processes I need to go through to design and set up this beer to to get an expected and consistent result 
Um, and then from the other end, once I have my result, what can I do to backtrack and say, okay, this is what I, I did right. This is what I like about this beer. Um, here's the flavor that I'm not really interested in and where in the process can I improve that? Yeah, it, it just seems that, um, Rob, I mean, you, you and I've sat around through the years and we've had some beers that had issues from breweries in West Virginia and other places, but you know, it's like they don't have a lab. They don't know what went wrong or they don't even necessarily know. A lot of times they don't, a lot of times they don't think anything is wrong. Um, Right. We have had brewers that I I keep bringing up diacetyl and that's because it's a personal issue for me. And I, I understand that I'm a diacetyl super taster and I get it in things. A lot of people don't, but we have had brewers in this state who are running major breweries who are almost diacetyl blind. And it's obvious to 95% of the people that are drinking their beer, that there's a butterscotch flavor or a golden flavoring popcorn flavor to it. And they never saw it. And they are sadly no longer with us brewing wise. Uh, And they had uh, some pretty good products when they didn't have the issue, but when the issue arose, they didn't know it was there. Um, They just couldn't tell. So will the the school have some laboratory equipment that, that that is used in breweries? I mean, that can actually analyze levels of different things in beer? Mm-hmm. Well, that is definitely something that I want to get. We don't have that equipment yet, um, but I've been looking into that. I'm uh, looking at funding options, and uh, and that that's definitely a process. We're always going to be improving the lab. Um whether it's in analytical equipment or um, keeping up with the brewing equipment that we have. Um, so, yes, there are, there's going to be equipment to analyze the beer. There's also going to be, um, you know, we're going to start with basic things like hydrometers and refractometers and uh, start with let's analyze the, you know, the alcohol in the beer. Let's analyze how much sugar is in the beer. What's the specific gravity? Um, so we'll start there and then, uh, grow into more and more, uh, in-depth analysis. Um, because I hope to see that industry start up in the state as well. Uh, I would like to see more of these, uh, labs that can both keep the yeast and help our brewers, uh, have their, their own yeast kept healthy and preserved. Well, where are people doing that? Like across in Ohio, it looks like if there's Mm -hmm. something right over there, does it need to be here? How close does it need to be? I guess I, if, if you're not going to do it, I mean, is that really a priority for us? Right. Well, and I guess that, uh, you know, that's almost as much of a a question in economics as it is in brewing. So if we can uh, keep the whole industry local, then that benefits West Virginia. It benefits our brewers. Um, but if we're pulling, you know, if we're the more product we're exporting, um, you know, the more it's not coming from West Virginia. Um, and it, it also gives us the option. Um, and I guess you could, you know, collect it and send it out to a lab somewhere, but, uh, it gives us the option to have people who are interested in, cultivating local yeast as well yeah i mean i hear you and i understand that i don't know about the practicality of it though i mean if you're a brewery over in the eastern panhandle you're right over in the dc market you know why would you want to send something to charleston if you could send it at dc if you're up in morgantown why wouldn't you want to send it to pittsburgh 
than Charleston. These are, you know, we're a state that's so spread apart. Doesn't really sure. central services here in this state are very difficult to achieve, from my experience, and, and unless they're subsidized to some extent, that would, you know, have to be another issue. Now you mentioned your equipment. What system do you have right now? What bre- what is your what's your brew kit right now? Right now, our brew kit is uh, an SS Brewtech, um, and what we've got right now is uh, just a small five-gallon system. Um, I hope to eventually expand that to a larger system, um, but at the moment, we don't really have a need for a larger system uh, or uh, anything to do with the beer once we've made it, so... Yeah, you can't sell right. it. Right, we can't. Right. Uh, Students will be happy uh, <laughs> sampling it. Uh, but, sure. Uh, right, they'll, they'll be happy sampling it, but we can't sell it. We right. can't send it home with them. Right, right. Uh, It doesn't make a whole lot of uh, sense to to make it in 100-gallon batches when, you know, five gallons or even one gallon would do for the academic purposes. So I'm also curious, are you networked this this program, or are you planning to network, if you're not already, with other brewing programs or universities that have fermentation sciences like Virginia Tech or, I don't know, Ohio State. I'm not sure what they have up there. But is that something you're, you're looking at to kind of network your program with other established schools? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we're not currently officially networked with anybody. Um, I am actually going down to uh, Asheville, North Carolina um, in March to tour the brewing facilities at uh, AB Tech. So I'm very interested in having some partnerships and uh, communication with other schools. Uh, and that's something that I'm, I'm working to build. But as far as uh, any official partnerships, we don't have those at the moment. Yeah, they, I think uh, AB Tech has a two-year program just about like what you've described that you were doing. Yeah, they have a, they have a really cool program. Um, they also have a distillation program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've been around for quite a while, and well, they've got fifty breweries right around them. It's a right, little right. different environment, right. absolutely. Well, <laughs> and I, cideries too. And I, I read an article. I think you sent me, Charles, but recently regarding Asheville itself, and you know that's an area where some of these schools and certification programs have popped up because you know, as you said, craft has grown so much that's outgrowing, you know, the knowledge as far as brewing and, and the process itself. And there became a need for that certification. So it makes sense. Yeah. And you can't leave Wicked Weed without signing an NDA these days. So you can't go on, you know, immediately walk out of there and start your own brewery. You've got to, you know, you have to sit off the side for a while now. So they actually need some other way to train people up down there. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a could be a I can see a great asset, you know, to our brewing industry in the state. And watch small and tiny. I mean, just we're talking things like laboratory things. They can't afford laboratory equipment. I mean, they're too tiny, and a lot of them aren't going to grow. I mean, they're not designed to grow. They're going to stay small, and that's wonderful because small breweries is where it's at in my book, not just big breweries. And uh, you know, the more small breweries we have, again, that need for some kind of support they can't they don't have the money just to come in and buy experts and consultants they, they have to do it the hard way sometimes and and, and the, on the cheap i guess even and if the school can provide them with you know good qualified uh, employees that they don't have to spend a lot of time training you know that that i can see the advantage there for sure yeah absolutely hey um getting back to your actual 
the students, uh, how many students do you need in this program to make it viable? Because mm-hmm. so, I'm guaranteed the school has some, they're going to review that, <laughs> how many, how many uh, enrollees you have. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So right now the program is building. Um, there's one elective class this spring, and then we're opening up the full program in the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of support and um, understanding about how a program builds and that that doesn't happen overnight, but eventually. Yeah, that's what I'm um, saying, eventually. So the idea is to to have a full program. Usually uh, for one class to be viable, it would seat eight students. Uh, so at any given time, I'll be teaching um, four different courses in the in the program. So, um, so feasibly, we'd want to have uh, 15, 16 students per year coming into the program. Uh, Which to would keep then it be 15, 16 graduates after a few years down the road. Right. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, that's where that um, emphasis on expanding the service region and serving yeah. more of the state becomes very important because. Uh, to employ 16 brewers yeah. in Montgomery might be difficult. Well, <laughs> well, it's going to be difficult in West Virginia, right. uh, 16 a year. There's not going to be, unless we grow tremendously uh, uh, fast, there's, you know, only, I'm saying that only because of our past history in the past 10 years, it's grown very fast. But man, 16 people that would actually work inside the breweries, new people each year, means our breweries are going to have to grow a whole lot faster than most of them have been growing. So I would think, though, that we're not just training people to work in West Virginia. My goodness, why wouldn't they want to go to Asheville or over to Columbus and Cincinnati and places that aren't that far away and, and take their careers to places that might be more exciting for them, even bigger breweries even, you know, right. more opportunity. And, and this program will certainly prepare them to do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if they, if they want to relocate and they want to go somewhere else, um, they'll have the credentials to do that. They'll have the training to go be successful uh, in another brewery. Um, and also, we're not necessarily uh, cranking out 16 brewers every year. Uh, we also are going to be working with uh, distributors. We're going to be working with vendors. Uh, so, you so know, when you're saying a person that came out of this program might be hired by a beer distributor. Absolutely. Yeah, so. um, or somebody who wants to do uh, craft beer events and market craft beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be really important to have somebody on board that understands the industry, understands uh, craft beer and how to talk about it. So uh, while while I don't doubt that uh, everybody might enroll in the program with the dreams of being the brewer, uh, you know, as the market dictates, though, those people are going to uh, fill in Yes, the brewing spots, but other functions uh, in the brewery and supporting breweries. So what we want to see is to um, feed into this this industry as a whole and not necessarily just at the brew tanks. So what kind of person are you seeking then? What kind of a person that might even hear this podcast uh, and think, geez, am I right for that program? What, what, what would you say that person's like? Hmm. Absolutely. So... You know, we want to see um, we want to see people who are thinking outside the box, uh, people who are dedicated and and really want to see the program through and uh, passionate about what they're working on. Um, 
you know, as far as that goes, you, you have to be 21. That's a, that's a deal breaker. Um, but yeah, we, we want to see uh, creative and motivated people and people who have an interest in, uh, in craft beer and in really, uh, you know, throwing themselves into this and learning something new. Sounds like a good description. A couple of quick questions for me. As a lawyer, uh, the law part of this always comes up. Um, you mentioned you're going to be meeting with the development office. What kind of buy-in and feedback or any – what have you had from ABC, and have you heard anything from the legislature, or have you been dealing with them about anything at this point? Mm-hmm. So um, as far as ABC goes, uh, those conversations mostly took place before I came on board. I know that uh, – we are licensed. Actually, we're not licensed as uh, an academic lab, but we're licensed as a production facility. Um, so we're allowed to make beer. So that's all good. Um, and then currently, you know, we've got some, uh, we have some interest, I think almost on a personal basis from some of the legislators, but uh, there hasn't been any discussion of, um, any legislation that directly affects our program with us. Okay. Um, I had a question and it just went fluttering out of my mind. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, well, it, here, okay, let me start again with that. Tom. <clears throat> what changes to the law do you see right now would be helpful to your program going mm-hmm. forward? So I think some of the things that would be uh, helpful to this program, you know, one of our our big goals is to be uh, supplying people with jobs at the end of the program. So the more breweries that can open up and be viable, the better. Uh, so I'd like to see some legislation that um, that kind of pulls back on some of the licensing fees and uh, allows a new brewery to really get a good start. Um, so that would be helpful. Uh, there, there could also be, um, some legislation that would limit some of the fees that, uh, existing breweries are already paying. I know, uh, one brewery was talking about, um, a fee that they have to file and pay to the ABC every time they have someone leave the site. Uh, so that's considered a, a representative. If any of their employees go to uh, talk about their beer or serve their beer anywhere, uh, and at least as I understood it in that conversation, they had to fill out paperwork and uh, pay a fee for a like a one-day license for that person to uh, go to do that. And you may be able to elaborate on that a little more. Not really, no. No, okay. No, but I can see where that would be a, a major impediment to, you know, marketing, for example. Well, you do Absolutely. have to be. You'd have to. Uh, you have to be licensed to sell the beer as an individual. You have to have a name on a license, so that they do have their field people that would leave. Yeah, when you say leave the brewer, we need to go out to a distributor to sell the beer, or even out to a retailer if they direct distribute. They have to have a. Uh, they have to be licensed with a permit, right? Oh, that, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, but to even go to uh, like a tap takeover, um, if the the vendor already has your beer, they're already selling the beer through their license. You're at a, a bar or restaurant. Uh, if your brewery sends a representative to to mingle, uh, they still have to pay that representative fee, as I understand it. 
Um, I so didn't that, realize that. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I know they have to they have to register the event, you know, right? But right. I don't which I'm know sure that if you sort of well, yeah, which is a hassle. I don't think it does involve a fee, but mm-hmm. it, it's a hassle nonetheless. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that just gets in the way. And if you're a one or two man operation and you're trying to put it together, yeah, uh, just keep your business together. Having to fill out an additional form to send it to Charleston just to be able to walk down to the bar and say, "Hey, this is my beer. Try it." Could be a serious, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, exactly. And right. whether it has a fee or not has a fee, I mean, it's a it's a hassle it's and a it's hassle. kind of a ridiculous requirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the feel I got from that conversation was that the um, the hassle was a bigger deal than the fee itself. So uh, I don't think that the fee was crippling, but that that's another thing that you have to do and maybe have to do over and over and over if you're marketing heavily. Absolutely. I- understand got it yeah every time you want to go in a bar and have an event you have to have you have to have a, a form filled out and supposedly get approval for that to do it in right. advance yeah and, supposedly you know who knows how long that takes <laughs> we never know no it's a guessing game the, the black box it is abc yeah yeah <laughs> well it, it's uh there's a lot there's a lot on your plate michael i can see that right now i mean you're the leader here it sounds like you're also the professor for many of the classes. Yes. And uh, you know, you're know you going to have your hands full uh, developing this. And I, I guess a natural question would be, do you see us in the next year or what timeline maybe uh, hiring more people in your program to actually you know teach or, or what are your needs going to be there? Mm-hmm. So that'll be dictated by uh, a couple of things. It'll be, you know, how many students are we enrolling in the program do we need uh, multiple sections of each class or you know just one section of of each class Uh, the other thing that will you know really heavily determine when we're bringing on additional faculty is um, as we grow and expand what other classes are we going to teach either in this program or um, in you know in another avenue Mm -hmm that comes off of this. So are we going to have special elective classes in brewing one specific beer, like, you know, a stout class? Uh, Are we going to have, is there going to be a need for more lab services? And do we have an an alternative class that says, okay, uh, this is, you know, brewing microbiology too. Uh, so as we branch out into to more things to fit uh, more specific needs, that's when we'll need to bring in uh, more people either with that specific skill set mm-hmm. uh, or if it's falling in, uh, say, microbiology and, and I'm taking that on, then they'll need to alleviate one of the other classes that, that I'm holding on right now. Yeah, and I, I, it seems common at community college level that, there's also quite a use of adjunct professors, people that are just in the community that have certain skills that you need. And you bring in a brewer to teach a class, even though he's, he or she's not a full-time faculty member. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, starting off, that's something that, that we'd love to do, you know, as we start to have a need for, for somebody else, maybe for just one class or two classes, um, it's going to be a lot more advantageous to uh, to bring in a brewer to teach a, a specific class. Um, 
and really bring in that industry experience than it is going to be to try to find a brewer that we can pull out of the brewery and hire full time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or like, uh, you know, getting an attorney to uh, teach a brewing law class. I mean, yeah. there's so much law in alcohol and Rob just has beer. his hand up right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, Especially in West Virginia. <laughs> I'll do it. He knows it. <laughs> have you had any in, in your dealings with the breweries that you've been working with as far as the internships go? Have you had any discussions like that regarding t- would they want to come and teach class? Have you even gotten to that point? No, we haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, you know, they're, they're interested in housing our interns uh, and teaching through that program and, right. and helping with that hands-on learning. Uh, but as far as uh, asking them to come to the classroom and teach, uh, we just haven't gotten there yet. One final thing I'd like for you to comment on is the accreditation. Uh, I don't know if there's any formal, I mean, I've heard of, there's some people out here that say they sort of accredit brewing programs, like the Master Brewers Association of the Americas that kind of list ones they think are, have, you know, check the boxes, I guess. Is that something that, I know this college itself is accredited, you know, but is there an accreditation thing that you can get involved in down the road as you grow this program? Absolutely. So, uh, like you said, the college is accredited. Um, in December, our specific program got accredited through the Higher Learning Commission, which is uh, really good news. Um, that means our degrees are worth something. Yeah, and that means uh, that courses you take there can transfer to other, other schools, schools as well. Right. Yes. Um, but And there is the Master Brewers Association. Uh, they do have a I guess their endorsement that they give. And that's something that I'm looking at for down the road. Uh, Our program will have to be up and going for them to look at it. But uh, yeah, that's something I'm, I'm interested in. Um, And anything that, that I come across that, you know, really is in line with the industry as a whole. uh, That's something that, that I would be interested in pursuing. Well, I know the, isn't it the, Brewery chemists or brewing chemists also have an association that might be worth getting involved in somehow? I'm not really sure, but that's something I'm going to look up now. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds right up my alley. Good advice, Charles. (laughs) Yes. Guys, anything else? Good luck. Yeah. We're we're behind you. We support you. Absolutely. Hope it it does very well in our state. It's getting a lot of good attention. so, So I think we're off to a good start. Today's guest was Michael Parsons. He's the Brewing Technology Program Director at uh, Bridge Valley Community and Technical College, and the program is based in Montgomery, West Virginia. Uh, Again, thanks for being with us on West Virginia Beer Roads. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.